This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. I recently ran a poll of over 2,000 musicians playing all sorts of instruments over on our YouTube channel. And the question was, what do you find most challenging about jazz improvisation? And here were the options that we gave. A was creating melodic and cohesive solos. B was understanding and applying jazz theory during improvisation. C was developing a strong sense of timing and rhythmic feel. D was building confidence to take risk and explore new ideas. And E was spontaneously connecting with other players during jazz jams. I'm about to reveal to you the answer and which one of those was the biggest challenge for musicians in this poll, as well as go through each five of these and give you actual strategies to improve on them. Let's do this thing. All right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the podcast. So glad to have you with us. Uh, really hope that you get a lot out of today's episode. And no matter where you're at in your jazz playing today, there is going to be something for you in one of these five different struggles that I just mentioned in our poll that you can start taking action on today and literally improve your jazz solos over the next week or over the next month. So I mentioned all the different options, creating melodic cohesive j- solos, B, understanding and applying jazz theory during improvisation, C, developing a strong sense of timing and rhythmic field, D, building confidence to take risks and exploring new ideas, and E, spontaneously connecting with other players during jazz jams. And which one do you think was the biggest struggle? So with 51% of the vote, again, out of 2,000 musicians, 51% said creating melodic and cohesive solos is the biggest challenge to jazz improvisation, creating melodic and cohesive solos. 24% of people said understanding and applying jazz theory during improvisation. 10% of people said developing a strong sense of timing and rhythmic feel. 9% of people said building confidence to take risks and explore new ideas. And 7% of people said spontaneously connecting with other players during jazz jams. So let's start going through each one of these. Let's start with the first one that got 51% of the vote, creating melodic and cohesive jazz solos. So we listed this as an option in our poll because this is definitely one that we hear about in our inner circle membership, members of ours struggling with this and us helping them improve on this aspect of their playing. So how can you start creating melodic and cohesive solos? So melodic meaning like we're actually creating melodies. We're not just playing licks over and over again, although licks 
have melodies in them, but we're not just copy and pasting them. And they're cohesive in the sense that, again, we're not copy and pasting ideas. We're playing ideas that develop and they flow out naturally when you're playing. And I think that's what a lot of people are after is, how do I feel comfortable improvising over a jazz standard without having to think that hard about it, playing great melodies, not necessarily resolving and, and going back to patterns that we always like to play or things that just are kind of baked in to things that we've memorized, right? So how do we do this? Melodic and cohesive solos. So number one, most important thing that you can do to create melodic and cohesive jazz solos is actually to just start by learning tons of jazz melodies. And I guess tons is an overstatement, a lot of jazz melodies, right? Why would we want to learn a lot of melodies to jazz standards? Well, these melodies essentially have jazz language baked into them. And at the same time, they're very good melodies and they've stood the test of time mostly because they're great melodies, right? Like chord changes and the progressions are great and they're important, but when we think about what makes a song a song, it's the melody. So learn lots of melodies to jazz standards. I mean, that's the main thing we do in our Inner Circle membership, for example. We learn one new jazz standard a month. And the reason we do that is because over time, we want to get really deep into these melodies and learn more songs so that we can understand better how to actually play over top of chord progressions. And really the melody is giving you a hint into a way that you can improvise over top of the chord changes. But oftentimes we forget about the melody. We may play the melody of the song, but then immediately afterwards we start thinking, what scales can I play over these chords? Or what patterns do I know? Or what licks do I know? And kind of throw the melody out altogether. And a musician that I admire and study with is the great jazz guitarist, Peter Bernstein. And one thing that he told me is that we always want to be thinking about the melody when we play jazz standards. And Thelonious Monk did this a lot. He always used the melody as a reference. And one point that Peter made to me was, what's the difference between one blues and the next, right? In general, the blues is the same chord progression over a 12-bar form, right? There are variations to the chords, yes, but for the most part, it's the same. And so what makes one blues head different from the next is mostly, of course, the melody, right? The head itself, what makes it different? And so if we're playing solos that avoid the melody altogether, then we're missing a big part of what makes that song the song. So we always have the melody as a reference point, not only to start creating solos, but also to create melodic solos because they are melodies in and of themselves. So embellishing the melody, one exercise that... I give in one of my jazz standards playbooks in my inner circle membership is this melody development exercise. And so it starts with you play the first chorus of whatever song you're working on. You play just the melody straight, just as is the second chorus through you do what's called embellishing the melody, which means you are still playing the melody, but you might play some other notes around it and phrase things a little bit differently than it is originally actually played. And the third chorus comes around and you do what's called referencing the melody. So referencing basically meaning like you're taking a solo and playing your own stuff. But if someone were to be listening, they would know, oh, they're playing all the things you are because you would be referencing parts of that melody, which ensures that you know the melody so well if you're able to actually do this. And this is an exercise that a lot of my students say has a huge impact. So that's one way you can start using the melody itself as a jumping off point. Another way you can practice creating melodic jazz solos is to simply strip away chords and everything altogether and do what is essentially called playing free. Free meaning there's no chords or 
anything or even time perhaps holding you back from creating something. And let's not confuse free with avant-garde. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm just talking about, you know, I'm not talking about free jazz, for example. I'm talking about just playing whatever you want to play. And what you can do is just play melodies on your instrument freely. Like just start with a note and then see where your ear leads you. And so practicing this over and over and over again, just playing melodies and connecting notes together, and even if you hit a quote-unquote wrong note, resolving it to a note that works and continuing the melodic line, this is a practice in and of itself of creating great singable melodies that you would actually want to hear, no matter what twists and turns hit you. So forgetting about the chord changes for a bit and just focusing on this aspect of playing music, right? Just being melodic in the first place rather than focusing on being melodic over a certain musical harmonic context. Okay. And then we talk about cohesive solos, like solos that are all encompassing, solos that work together, solos that don't sound like they're patched together. The important thing is that we're always focusing on something called development. And one great way to do that is through motific development. So motific development is where you play a line or an idea, and then you might repeat that same idea over the next chord change, just altering it slightly. You're not really playing a new idea. You're just altering it slightly. We also call this call and response. And you keep continuing to do this over different chord changes. So it helps there actually be a theme and a actual substance to what your solo is, not just a bunch of random ideas and resolving to different scales and patterns that you normally would go to. So practicing motivic development is a really good idea if we're trying to play more cohesive solos. And I always suggest really trying to stretch this, like trying to exaggerate this process. How far can you go with a motif until you absolutely have to change it? And perhaps you wouldn't actually solo like this, but just the fact that you're exaggerating this process is essentially training you so that when you do get into a playing situation or improvisation situation, that you're actively able to start naturally repeating the same ideas and manipulating them and altering them so that your solo sounds like it actually works together rather than being a bunch of separated random ideas. Last but not least, creating melodic and cohesive solos, you can't underplay decide that you absolutely need to learn jazz language, right? You have to learn how great jazz musicians play over top of different jazz standards and chord progressions. So we definitely want to think about learning jazz language, like learning a chorus of a Charlie Parker solo, learning a chorus of a Bill Evans solo, learning just half of a chorus of uh, Winton Kelly solo, right? It doesn't have to always have to be a, a huge piece of language, but you're basically learning and hearing how these jazz musicians do create melodic, cohesive jazz solos. And you're essentially downloading some of that information. And while not all of it is going to sink into your subconscious, some ideas will come about that you can start using. And the last way I'll give a suggestion for creating melodic and cohesive jazz solos is to compose jazz solos, which is something I often recommend to my inner circle members, is slowing the improvisation process down and working on composing out the solo that you just absolutely would love to play. And don't get me wrong, it's not going to sound like the best solo you've ever heard, like John Coltrane. It's going to be the best 
best version of what you know now, right? The ideas that you hear in your head and the ideas that you can figure out on your instrument. But slowing this process down not only is going to help you internalize the language you already know, it's going to help you dream up the cohesive jazz solo you would want to play. And therefore, giving your brain more time to think about this and sink more into your subconscious so that when you do get to an improvisation setting, some of these natural tendencies start to come out more fluently, more naturally, okay? So that's creating melodic and cohesive jazz solos. Uh, The next one is understanding and applying jazz theory during improvisation. This got 24% of the vote, understanding and applying jazz theory during improvisation. So what are some ways we can understand and apply jazz theory during improvisation? So for one, it's really just understanding that jazz theory is not really meant to be thought about when you're improvising. It's a very common misconception to think that all these jazz players and even the ones that are definitely, you know, music theory savvy, that while they're improvising, they're thinking about a bunch of jazz theory. That's really not what's happening. Jazz theory is something that perhaps is happening in the practice room while they're honing their craft, while they're trying to understand ideas or conceptualize jazz language. So jazz theory isn't thought about during improvisation. And so if that's your goal to, as you're playing, think about playing melodic minor, the mode of melodic minor over this scale or this chord, then unfortunately we're missing the point. Totally okay to stop and think about during the practice room and try developing ideas that way, but not really the right tool to think about while improvising, okay? And that can be confusing to a lot of people, especially beginner jazz players. So let me extrapolate a little bit there. So jazz theory like, is essentially the theory of how jazz works, right? The theory of how jazz works. It's an explanation, if I can make the stretch to say a scientific explanation about how music theory within jazz actually works, right? So what are the great jazz musicians actually playing. That's what jazz theory is. And some of it is basic music theory, right? Like, okay, how do you play in all 12 keys? Well, we might want to start with just understanding how do you play a very basic tool in all 12 keys, like a C major scale in all 12 keys, right? That's music theory. How do chord progressions work? What is a two, five, one chord progression? Like these are all things that are important to study, especially when we talk about understanding songs. But while we're improvising and we're we're not, our goal isn't to be thinking about this. Our goal is to be thinking about reacting, okay? We're not thinking about every single chord individually while we're improvising. If we did that, we would absolutely not be able to keep up. That's where we have to focus again on the first one we talked about, which is creating melodic and cohesive solos. But without understanding jazz theory, like we could definitely be holding ourselves back or slowing our learning process down exponentially. So the main thing, again, just to impress this one more time, the jazz theory, the understanding and applying jazz theory really happens on its own, not necessarily during improvisation. It happens in a more study, slowed down scenario than anything. So as far as the jazz theory, you absolutely need to understand it's really the harmony side of it, in my personal opinion. So you need to understand 
what a 2-5-1 chord progression is because a 2-5-1 chord progression is the most common chord progression that's coming up in jazz. And if you can't put a name to what that chord progression is, you're going to have a whole lot harder time creating organization of musical ideas around chords that are found in jazz standards. And not to mention, it's going to be a lot harder to un- to memorize jazz standards. Um, in our Inner Circle membership, we do color-coded chords analysis of all the jazz standards we learn And we always talk about the Roman numeral analysis and the theory behind it. And that's just because this helps us organize the song into parts instead of looking at it as a bunch of chords on a piece of sheet or a bunch of chords that we're hearing. We're now organizing it into sections, right? And if we understand the sections and what they mean and how they work and what key center they're in, it makes it so much easier, okay? So if you're wondering, like, what's the most important jazz theory I need to know. It's harmony. That's really what you need to understand is what are chords? Two, five, one. How do you build a chord, right? Root, third, fifth, seventh, dominant seventh chord, root, third, fifth, flat seventh, right? Knowing those basics are the essentials because when we're talking about jazz improvisation, we're talking about improvising most of the time over jazz standards. At least that's our starting point. So we need to understand the theory and the harmony. And the good news is we're not necessarily needing to worry about that as much during the improvisation. That can be going on in the background in our head, right? But really, we're just trying to understand the chords from the get-go so that we can go, oh, great. When Sonny Rollins plays that musical line that I really like, it's over a 2-5-1 chord progression or a 1-6-2-5-1 chord progression. And that basic understanding is essentially setting you up for success. It's, it's, it's really removing handicaps that might be holding you back from improvising better. So when we're doing that, that's important to understand. Now, sometimes music theory comes out in other ways. Like if we're talking about modal jazz, like playing Miles Davis's So What or John Coltrane's Impressions, or songs that mix modal and diatonic harmony, like Beatrice by Sam Rivers, right? We might want to think about theory a little bit, right? Like, okay, there's a sharp, major seven sharp 11 chord in this chord progression. So how can we go about understanding how to improvise over a major seven sharp 11 chord? Well, first we can go to the chord tones, the root, the third, the fifth, right? And then we realize there's there's an extension there. There's a sharp 11. So the root, the fifth, and we could say the flat five or the sharp 11, right? So those are the notes that make the chord sound like the chord. And so we can use any of those notes to improvise, right? So that's, again, this is something that we're thinking about ahead of time. We're developing muscle memory on our instrument around and really developing these sounds in our ears, connecting them to our instrument outside of the improvisation process, Right. And then you might think to yourself, okay, great, but what's a nice framework to figure out what the notes in between the chord tones are? Okay, so you might discover that actually what you could play is a Lydian mode, right? What's a Lydian mode? It's just basically a major major scale starting on the fourth degree of that scale, right? So you might find that as a helpful tool that helps you conceptualize notes that you can improvise using. Absolutely great tool. But you're not going to be thinking in the moment, I'm going to play a Lydian scale now. That sound really just needs to start getting into your ear and into your muscle memory, right? So again, I keep harping on this because it's so important for people to understand this. Like 
the core tones, we study them outside of improvisation because we want them to become so natural in our muscle memory and so natural in our ear that we're not really thinking about it all that much. It's just kind of happening, right? Or we have patterns that are in our muscle memory that just automatically are happening there, right? Improvisation is, yes, you, if you're thinking, it's not that you're not thinking, but largely you're following a feeling of playing music and you're following a direction of just knowledge that you've already acquired. So make sure that you're working on the basics of jazz theory. Make sure that you're just thinking about it more of a, I'll learn a little bit as I go, right? And just asking questions like, cool, Sonny Rollins played this line over a dominant seventh chord. What is that note that sounds so cool? It's the flat 13. Amazing, right? So then you start figuring out that information and you have a name for it. It's a flat 13. That's that's music theory. And that way you're starting to understand better what's actually happening, right? But just because you understand what's happening doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically going to play better solos. It has to be a cohesive approach. It can't just be like, I'm going to play great jazz solos because I know a lot of jazz theory and I've practiced jazz theory. It has to be also creating melodic and cohesive jazz solos. It also has to be working on jazz language. It also has to be creating your own solos. It also has to be learning new songs, right? Those are all encompassing things. Theory is just a tool to help you organize these ideas. Okay, so that's number two is the understanding and applying jazz theory during improvisation. Okay, next one was developing a strong sense of timing and rhythmic feel. And that's 10% of people said this. So the disparity between how many people said these things really diminishes. However, one thing that I noticed is that the ones that people chose the fewest, right? The, The least amount of people who voted for them, the concepts were not less important than the others. Like developing a strong sense of timing and rhythmic feel is not less important than creating melodic, cohesive jazz solos. It's not less important than understanding and applying jazz theory during improvisation, right? So developing a strong sense of timing and rhythmic feel is very important. And how do we do that? Okay, so for one, it's listening to a lot of jazz, lot of jazz because just by listening to jazz and internalizing the sounds and the phrasing and the way musicians play over the time, that is really going to be helpful. It's going to take you a long way. And one thing that people have a lot of struggle with, with this topic is getting lost in the song form, right? Uh, Especially while soloing, this is a big problem that comes up. And part of that is just not having that strong sense of time and rhythmic feel. So one thing that you can do is while you're listening is follow along with the song. So listen to the improvisation, but know and understand the song and be able to say, we're at the top of the A section. We're at the top of the B section. Um, We're playing this chord right now. We're playing this chord right now, right? So being mindful of where you're actually in the form is important. Another thing with with timing is to remember, like, it doesn't always have to be a metronome. Like, metronomes are helpful. That's helpful training. Nothing wrong with a metronome, and I'll talk about that in a second. But using uh, application is important, too. So, again, having a strong sense of the melody is going to be really helpful. Sometimes people get lost during drum solos. Very natural. But one thing that you can do while, let's say, a drummer is taking a solo is you can be singing the melody in your head as you go along. So you're using a musical 
context that has time and rhythm feel involved in it to mark the time rather than going one and two and three and four and, and counting, right? Which again, can be helpful, but it also can be deceptive as well. You can easily lose the time, even if you're really trained on a metronome. Okay, how else do we increase our sense of time? Obviously, there's the metronome. Everybody's talked about it, but here's some things you can do with it. So first, you can practice improvising or playing melodies, just simple stuff, or even literally just scales with the click on every beat. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Then from there, you can move to every other beat. So two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So just two and four. Then to one and three. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And you'll notice when you put the metronome on those different strong beats, you start to feel the song differently. And it's really interesting. Okay, then what you can do is one click per measure. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. If you're really courageous and you really want to push it, you could do every two measures. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, right? That may or may not be necessary. It's just a way to strengthen that muscle of feeling time internally. And, and keep in mind, when we're feeling time internally, like we're feeling it in our body, we're not necessarily counting in our head. So counting in your head, it's you're, you can't possibly improvise and, and do all this stuff while counting at the same time. What you have to do is, is feel it in your body. So whether it be the way you sway your body, even your foot might not be the best idea though, because your foot can also throw you off. Um, so you want to be careful about that, but it's more about how you're feeling it in your body. And especially if we're playing at fast tempos, right? So like one, three, one, two, three, four, like this fast, right? That's pretty fast. So instead of feeling it one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you're feeling it one, 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 one. Like that's what you're really feeling. And and you're feeling it in your body. Again, you're not counting one, one, one. You're going and you're feeling it in essentially half time when you're playing at really up tempos, right? So this is how we start developing the sense of time, right? And rhythmic feel. This one is one that I give my inner circle members all the time. You know, we, we have a really vibrant community in there. And so people are posting recordings of their playing. And so me and uh, one of our other coaches and of course, other members are going in there and commenting um, on um, different posts and giving some feedback. And so one piece of feedback that I just often give is really practicing subdivisions. So it could be um, just playing free, like we talked about before, but it also could be improvising over a jazz standard you're working on. And starting a backing track or a metronome, doesn't matter which one, and start by just improvising half notes, right? And only improvise with half notes, okay? Really great way also to start playing melodic solos is to just take away eighth notes for a second, Okay, then go to quarter notes, then go to eighth notes, then go to eighth note triplets, and then probably you'll have to slow down the tempo if you're at a medium tempo. So go to like a ballad tempo and play 16th notes continuously. And you can do this as long as you want. You can do it for one chorus, two choruses, three choruses, four choruses. It doesn't matter. The idea is how much can you continuously play the same subdivision and really get inside of the feel. 
And if you're someone who's like likes to do a lot of small, smaller subdivisions like triplets or 16th notes, and you're noticing it don't feel very good, Fred Hirsch gave me this advice once when he heard my playing and he told me, hey, go and really strengthen your eighth notes. Make sure your swing feels really great. Make sure your eighth notes feel really great before trying to make eighth note triplets feel really great everywhere or 16th notes feel really great everywhere. Get those eighth notes really feeling good first, right? And then of course, we have to also go to learning solos from other great jazz musicians and playing along with them on the record. Because essentially when you're doing that, you're copying their sense of time, rhythmic feel, and phrasing. And so when you're copying that and getting that into your muscle memory, it's more likely that you're just going to start naturally developing that in a musical sense. So that's number three, developing a strong sense of timing and rhythmic feel. Number four is building confidence to take risks and explore new ideas. Building confidence to take risks and explore new ideas. And 9% of people said that this is the most, the biggest challenge for them for jazz improvisation. And again, I want to just impress upon the idea that while the other ones are certainly important, this one is not less important. So taking risks and exploring new ideas is essentially the essence of improvisation, right? You have to be a bit of a risk taker to improvise well, right? If you're not willing to take risks and maybe even sound bad every once in a while, you're really going to have a slow progress to the top. You really are. It, it, it could be hard too, because like, especially if you're doing it in a public setting, improvising at a jam session, like no one wants to sound bad. And it's a very vulnerable thing to do to improvise. Like hundred percent. I've been there. I get it. I don't want to sound bad, but especially when we're talking about in the practice room, if we're not willing to take risks and explore new ideas, then we're really just going to be in that vicious cycle of like, I just keep sounding the same. And even if I'm practicing, practicing four hours a day, I'm just doing the same things over and over and over again. And therefore I'm really not progressing very quickly. Right. And for example, in our inner circle, like that's really the opposite of what we try to do. We try to constantly be adjusting our playing and we really try to coach our members and help them develop mindsets of how do we figure out what we're doing great and not so great and try new strategies or try doing something else than we're already doing, right? You might be great at playing minor pentatonic scales over a blues and that's awesome and we're really happy for you, but you know that that's not where you want to end it. You want to start playing the chord changes. You want to play better jazz language. And so that means you have to go outside of the minor pentatonic scale and you have to go into some new strategies, some new ideas. So you need to take risks, especially when you're practicing and especially when you're practicing improvising. So don't be afraid to try different registers on your instrument. Don't be afraid to play the wrong notes. Don't be afraid to try to turn wrong notes into right notes. Don't be afraid to listen back to your recordings and see how it sounds. Like, don't look at it as a failure if you don't like what you hear. Look at it as an opportunity to grow. So building confidence to take risks and explore new ideas is really a mindset thing. It's really about how do you approach learning in general, but really I want to help 
you understand better is that if you are someone and you'd raise your hand right now and say, I am someone who generally is afraid to sound bad. I don't like my playing a lot of the time. And I feel like I have limitations to how good of a jazz musician I can get, right? If that's you, if that's your mindset, I'm here to tell you right now that A, you don't need to think that way any longer. And B, you shouldn't think that way any longer because it's really not going to help you improve in the long term. Okay. Instead, we want to get very non-objective and really embrace everything as an opportunity, right? Every new jazz standard is a great opportunity, no matter how easy or hard it is for us. Every new melody is, every new lick we learn, every new chorus we learn, all of it is an opportunity to improve. And so building that that confidence to take risk and explore new ideas is really a conscious decision. So I want to challenge you today, if you're someone who raised their hand, I want you to make one conscious decision to take one specific risk in your playing today. Like define what that is and what you're going to try and just go and try it. And the more you develop this mindset of doing that, the easier it gets to do. Okay, so that's number four, building confidence to take risks and explore new ideas. Number five, spontaneously connecting with other players during jazz jam sessions, right? So this could be an official jazz jam session or just playing with a friend, right? So playing with another musician. And 7% of people voted for this one. So what this means, we talk about spontaneously connecting with other players during jazz jams is like really the magic of jazz is when you play with other people and you respond to them. So if you've ever played with a backing track, which I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this podcast has done before, you may have noticed that it is a sterile environment, right? There's really nothing happening other than a recording being played back at you. There's no response to what you're playing and you're not really able to respond to what they're playing in an organic way. Like you can respond to what the backing track is doing, but really it's just spitting out the same thing to you over and over and over again, right? Backing tracks, great practicing tools, absolutely. But backing tracks really cannot teach you how to respond to the moment. So how do you do that? So number one is is the most obvious one is you got to start playing with other musicians. Even if it's one other person that you know, you need to start playing with other musicians because this is the only way you're going to start playing off of what the other musicians are playing. So again, instead of thinking about jazz theory while you're improvising or thinking about how to play a cool rhythm or a lick that you know, what you're really doing is you're listening to what the other musicians are playing or the other musician is playing and trying to see where you go. So I've played a ton of duo gigs, whether it be me and another guitar player, me and a bass player, me and singers. Um, I've even played gigs with me and horn players. And when you do this, you'll notice that you are hyper tuned in to what that other person is playing. Um, oh, I forgot to mention, I've done mostly, like I would say the vast majority is with other piano players, which is interesting, uh, with piano players, so guitar and piano. But you really start honing into what they're actually playing, right? Because it's just you and the other person. It's almost like you're forced to listen to what they're playing. 
So sometimes when you're in like a, a bigger group setting, it's it can be easy to kind of get lost in like what you're doing, right? But when it's just you and one other person, you have to focus, especially if each of you has a very defined role. So like if you're a bass player and you're playing with a horn player, right? You have to go, oh, okay, what is the horn player playing? Um, how am I going to play my bass line so that it outlines a harmony in a certain way? And the horn player is listening really intently to what the notes the bass player is playing so that they can play a solo, right? This is what it's all about. So you have to get together to play with other musicians and get to play with other musicians in different settings. I mean, that's one great thing about, you know, having had a good chunk of my career where I performed a lot. I would play in all these different settings, trios, guitar, bass, and drums, um, guitar, piano, and bass, you know, uh, guitar, bass, and vocals. Like I mentioned, um, guitar and piano, right? And all these different comments, solo is, is, is another one, but that's not playing with other people. But even then, the different variety of playing situations causes you to think and listen differently than you normally would. So that's really the best way to start doing it is to apply. But the second way is, is just simply to, again, shift the way you think about playing music. I, I mentioned this earlier, like we don't want to be thinking about playing jazz theory while we're improvising. The idea is to work on all this stuff in the practice room so that when we get up to improvise, everything is so much more natural. That's really the heart of what we're trying to do. So one challenge is just the next time you're playing with someone is just to, before you start playing, just make a mental note that you want to listen to what the other musician is playing and also be aware of some of your shortcomings. So perhaps you're a piano player, a guitar player, and sometimes we can get a little bit overly obsessed with like playing voicings, like what voicings am I going to play? Or I learned all these different voicings, or I just learned how to voice lead this chord to this chord, or I learned my drop twos. And so you get excited about that and you find yourself just kind of playing voicings. And that's the opposite of what we want to be doing necessarily when we're accompanying a comping for another musician. What we want to be doing is supporting them. And so in order to support them, we have to listen to them. So make a mental note of that. And even if you're a horn player, like what mental note, what is the piano player actually playing? What is the bass player actually playing? Because the best moments in music, the best moments in jazz from your favorite records are where you hear them do something where they're responding to what the other player is playing. They're not just playing a solo. They're not just comping. They're playing together. And that's the magic of jazz. That's what makes jazz so special and really, truly unique from many other styles of music. So going over those again, creating melodic and cohesive jazz solos, understanding and applying jazz theory during improvisation, developing a strong sense of timing and rhythmic feel, building confidence to take risks and explore new ideas, spontaneously connecting with other players during jazz jams. And I gave you all some strategies to help tackle those. So my challenge for you is to pick one of those areas, one of those challenges, and see where you can improve just a little bit. And one strategy that I mentioned that you can start applying today. All right, my friends, this has been a great episode. If you need help on your jazz journey, 
then we're here to help you in the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. This is where we learn one new jazz standard a month. We have access to all of our courses on topics like the blues and rhythm changes and practice plans and a really awesome community of musicians playing all sorts of instruments, just having fun and really improving every single month. So check that out at ljsinnercircle.com or... Find the link in the show notes or wherever you're listening to your podcast right now. You'll find it in the description of the show. Go ahead. We'd love to have you join us in the inner circle. All right. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll be coming out with another great episode of the podcast next week. Cheers and happy practicing. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.